Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and this is the West Block Politics, Perspectives, and Players. The images of liberal leader Justin Trudeau in blackface and brownface have made headlines around the world, putting the liberal campaign into heavy-duty damage control mode and derailing their plans for the week. Trudeau's longtime friend, Green Party leader Elizabeth May, is now questioning the Justin Trudeau she thought she knew and her friendship with the liberal leader. She's calling on him to do more to address racism in Canada. Here's that conversation. Elizabeth May, thank you so much for sitting down with us. It's great to see you. Thank you, Mercedes. It's been a pretty tough week the past week for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals on the campaign. Three different incidents of the Liberal leader in, in blackface or brownface. Yeah. What is your response to that? I'm so deeply shocked. Those who know me know that it's hard to believe that I'm finding trouble finding the words. I usually don't have trouble articulating my feelings. But I find this deeply troubling and really shameful behavior. And it's inexplicable that Justin Trudeau could be three times recorded. I mean, it seems to be something he likes to do, which is racist behavior. Do you think that he's fit to be the Prime Minister of Canada, given there's been three incidents? I belong to a, a tradition that is prepared to forgive. But he has to express for, to, to me and all Canadians why we should forgive him. At this point, it is behavior that hurts people. It hurts children uh, of color. It hurts indigenous peoples. It hurts all of us who care about really eradicating racism from this culture, from the society. And it puts it, it puts it right in our face that racism is alive and well in Canada, and that is unforgivable. He admitted to two occasions when he was asked. He didn't talk about the third. Given that he apologized for two of them, but he didn't disclose this additional one that we've confirmed, do you think that there's concerns about how many times this may have happened? I don't want to sound unfair, but it's transparent that he apologizes for the incidents that he thinks are in distribution and circulation. He apologizes when he's caught. And he should have come out before any of this became public, do you think? Well, at this point, I can't feel certain that I know who he is anymore. I can't feel certain that there aren't other pictures circulating among friends with more of this sort of thing. So we know that he apologized and confirmed two incidents because he must have known those two incidents were already in the hands of his political enemies. How much more could there be out there and what possible explanation is there for this racist behavior which surfaces not once, not twice, but now three times. His camp says that he has demonstrated policies that clearly show he's progressive, that he's not racist. He has said that he regrets this, that it was a mistake. But given the three incidents, do you feel that you could support a liberal government in a minority situation led by Justin Trudeau? There's no question for me that I find Mr. Scheer and uh, Liberal Party policies and Mr. Trudeau unacceptable at this point. But the nature of Westminster parliamentary democracy is that after an election, you meet with everyone and figure out what's in the best interest of this country. And I want to reiterate, because a lot of us as Canadians get wrapped up in U.S. politics and U.S. style politics, where the leader of the 
party is actually a presidential candidate and their name is on every ballot. We have to remember in Canada, we have a different system. The only seat, the only place Justin Trudeau is actually running where his name is on the ballot is in Papineau. The only place where my name is on the ballot is in Saanich Gulf Islands. And depending on the results of the election, I mean, within a very short time after the 2015 election, the leader of the Conservative Party wasn't Stephen Harper, it was Ron Ambrose. So I won't deal in hypotheticals at this stage. I need to see what happens after the election. What is the will of Canadians as expressed at the ballot box? Because my, my number one commitment always is to doing what's best for Canada. Right now, my trust in, in, it's hard to have any trust. I mean, so many promises were broken that mattered. And I'm just here today at the Assembly of First Nations British Columbia meeting. And it rings in my ears and it rings so hollow that no relationship is more important to us than our relationship with Indigenous peoples. And it rings in my head and it rings so hollow that 2015 will be the last election held under first past the post. And it rings in my head so hollow, no government could approve a pipeline that went through a process as flawed as the NEB review of Trans Mountain. These were promises that I believed. So I will always talk to all other party leaders after an election campaign to put together a parliament if we're in a minority situation, which I, I clearly hope we will be. I would not want to see this country with a majority liberal government or a majority conservative government. Uh, majorities in this country, based on first past the post, give 100% of the power to leaders who didn't get even a majority of the votes. So I will always do what I think is in the best interest of Canada and try not to make firm hypothetical projections. We, we really don't know what, what will happen in this government. You might end up asking Justin Trudeau if he's prepared to support a green government. Who knows? The Conservatives have said that Mr. Trudeau is a hypocrite. Do you think that he's a hypocrite? Yeah, I, uh, I, there's, it's hard to, I mean, for me on the climate issue, his policies are hypocritical. On indigenous issues, his policies are hypocritical. On racism, which is really more deep, is, is so deeply disturbing, uh, I don't think he has addressed adequately, perhaps even within his own heart and soul, what it is as a person of privilege, and any, anybody with white skin is a person of privilege. That's just the reality of our lives. If you don't actually unpack who you are, unpack all the cultural uh, benefits, all the political benefits, all the societal reality that our society discriminates against people of color, if you don't truly get that, then you need to do a lot of work. And I think this speaks to, to and as, as one of the liberal candidates here earlier today said, all of us have to do a lot of work, and I'm prepared to accept that. But it's, um, it certainly smacks of hypocrisy. Ms. May, I have to ask you, as a party leader, mm -hmm. have you ever worn brown face or black face, or have any of your candidates worn brown face or black face that you're aware of? Absolutely never have I done such a thing. It's, it's appalling. And I don't think that any of our candidates are hiding anything from us. One, dear friend of mine just contacted the party to say, I did once, and this is of course a well-known Canadian satirist and comic, Greg Malone, who was a founder of Codco. He's running in Avalon, and he let us know that in one of the skits that was broadcast on CBC several decades ago, I haven't seen the skit, but there was a skit in which he wore blackface. But it was, um, as I said, it was, it was um, 
part of a, a, a comedy skit on Codco in on and broadcast on National Public Broadcaster. But it's still, you know, in retrospect, he wishes he hadn't done it. Do you think he should still be allowed to run as a candidate? He still wore a blackface. Uh, again, it, it, uh, at the time, it meant that it wasn't a hidden video. It wasn't a hidden event. It was published. It was part of a national, uh, very well-loved comedy show. And I haven't reviewed it, but I, he, is a, he, he is very upfront about it, and he didn't hide it. But if, if blackface is wrong for Justin Trudeau in a yearbook, why isn't it wrong for a Green Party candidate on a major national broadcaster? I think that the context of it being a comedy show in an era where it was broadcast on national television was not something that was hidden, and it was not something that he would do today. And I know Greg extremely well. They're not multiple incidents, and it wasn't part of a private life entertainment that he thought was appropriate. So given the outrageousness of CODCO in the day, I think it falls in a different category. When it comes to Andrew Scheer, you've raised questions about whether or not you can support him based on his comments on Indigenous people around natural resource projects. Would you be willing to support a conservative minority government? The reality of it is that Andrew Scheer's comments on equal marriage, we were the first party to call for equal marriage. The speech that has appeared it makes his views which are appalling, completely unacceptable to me. I've been attacked by the NDP because I keep going back to what are first principles of how Westminster parliamentary democracy works. I'm not prepared to sign a blank check for any of the other party leaders. Uh, none of the other parties have taken the climate emergency seriously, and in that I include the NDP. But that doesn't mean I don't want to work with them when the election is over. We have got to find a way to get past the hyper-partisanship of our system, I've called for the other leaders to form an internal cabinet focusing only on climate within which we work together. Because the people of Canada don't like squabbling. I know they don't. They don't like to hear people arguing over each other. They want us to work like grown-ups, sit down together, and figure out how to best serve our country. Uh, there's nothing in the conservative platform that could induce me to support that platform. But after an election, would I talk to the leader of a Conservative Party, talk to the leader of New Democratic Party, talk to the leader of the Liberal Party, whomever those people may be, to serve the interests of Canada? So there's a possibility that you would support any of those parties in a minority situation? If we put, we will, we will bring down any government on the very first confidence vote if there's a failure to take the climate emergency seriously, by which we mean that we must hold global average temperature to no more than 1.5 degrees, which means a doubling of the target that Canada is operating right now. We're operating under the same target Stephen Harper left in place. It's the same target Justin Trudeau says is important. Same target as Andrew Scheer. And while the current target is 30%, Jagmeet Singh wants to take it to 38%. It must be a 60% cut by 2030 or the window of opportunity on our kids living in a secure human civilization that can respond to the climate catastrophes that are coming. No matter what we do, we're in for a rough ride. The question is, do we have a rough ride that we can plan for, survive, and thrive? Or do we set a course where our kids, through their lifetimes, may not have a viable human civilization to support society and support economy? That's our bottom line. We will bring down any government regardless of its composition, if there is a failure to respond in a concrete, committed, and serious manner to the climate catastrophe. And is that exclusively the target that you're setting? It's not my target. It's driven by science. 
and you can't negotiate with physics. We are told there is a carbon budget. We are told by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that we have one opportunity, and one opportunity only, to change the course that we're now on. So that's not my target. It's tougher than I expected it would have to be. But we revised our targets based on the report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. We have the most detailed, reasonable, it's ambitious, but mission possible to deal with the climate emergency is a plan that can work. It's not mission easy, and people say it's, you know, I, I've set tar the Greens have set targets that are unreachable. This is the thing. They're the targets that matter, and if we fail, we don't fail a political promise. We fail our children in a very real way, and our grandchildren. And I'm a grandmother before I'm a politician, and I will not do that. Let's talk about your platform. It was released last week. Yeah. We got a look at it. Everyone knows Elizabeth May and the environment and the Green Party and the environment, but it was the first chance that Canadians have really had to get some in-depth uh, mm -hmm. peeks at your policies on issues not related to the environment, right. everything from national defense to health care. One of the promises that you make in there, well, several promises in terms of funding, uh, would be free education, yeah. child care, yeah. pharma care, dental care. That has to be several billion dollars. Oh, it's more than that. Where's the money coming from for that? Well, I hope very shortly, and, and the delay, I apologize for the delay. We, we, and I'm very grateful, I have to say, the Parliamentary Budget Office has assigned its some very brilliant top analysts to look at all of our, where we think we'll find the revenue, what the programs will cost, and we're committed to finding a balanced budget along the same timeline as the Conservatives. So we, we have revenue sources, we've costed our platform, and in a number, very few days, Canadians will be able to look for themselves where we find the revenue. But we increase the uh, large transnational corporate tax rate. We increase taxes on our commercial banks. We look to uh, finding the offshore money hang hanging out and hiding out, as was revealed in the Panama Papers. We're also looking at e-commerce. We have a lot of companies that make a lot of money in Canada and pay virtually no tax, whether it's Amazon or Facebook or Google. Uh, we also have a financial transaction tax and, uh, and on and on, cutting some corporate loopholes and, of course, stopping fossil fuel subsidies, which is now a, a Trudeau promised to end fossil fuel subsidies. Actually, Stephen Harper promised in 2009 to end fossil fuel subsidies. They've gone up since then. So ending those subsidies immediately saves us billions of dollars. Are you looking at an increase in income tax no. for individuals at all? No, not no. at all. So and no, t no tax increase on the real backbone of our economy small business. A lot of people have said we should be decreasing the corporate tax rate in order to be competitive with the United States where there's been cuts. If you're raising it, are you risking driving big international business out of Canada? I don't believe so. There's money to be made. I have a lot of confidence in entrepreneurs. I, I go back to having worked in government in the 1980s and when we were fighting acid rain, the biggest point source of pollution in North America was INCO. And they threatened to close their doors, put everybody out of work if they were forced to meet the standards that the Mulroney administration was putting forward to fight acid rain. And you know what they did, they, having said that they'd go out of business, having threatened its general job blackmail as the usual tactic, as soon as they realized there was no escaping it, that governments provincially and federally were holding firm and they had to meet these standards, they figured it out, they installed new technology and they made more money than ever. So I have a lot of confidence in the ability of large companies, large transnationals, uh, I'd like them to put away their lawyers, get out their engineers, and get to work because this is an opportunity for a new economic revolution that will create jobs and create wealth while not destroying our future in the process. 
one last thing I don't think we've ever talked about. Uh, we talk about your passion a lot, which is environment, and now I get to ask you about mine, which is defense and security. NATO and NORAD, mm -hmm. do you think that we should stay in those alliances? I think we need to constantly refresh and review what is the strategic imperative for Canada. Right now, our single largest security threat is the climate crisis. And we need to look at where our alliances are. We need to work, look at our role within the United Nations on peacekeeping, where we still rank 59th in the world. Our relationship with NATO is very important, but I want to review it to see if we can use our influence within NATO to address another huge threat, which is now becoming back right in our face, which is nuclear disarmament. We have Donald Trump and Putin renouncing the work done by Gorbachev and Reagan. We need to pay attention to nuclear disarmament. And if our NATO alliances and our NATO allies can work with us to work towards nuclear disarmament to make the world safer, then that alliance is very valuable. But if they won't, we have to re-examine it. That's an incredibly, potentially massive international policy shift to talk about moving away from NATO or NORAD. Canada gets a lot of quid pro quo, you know, money in kind. We get help from the United States where we're able to defend our airspace because of theirs in NORAD. Are you worried that if you put those things on the table because you want to cut off any relationship with nuclear weapons, you could jeopardize Canadian sovereignty? Canadian sovereignty is at risk when we uh when we drop our own in interests, right now our northern coastline is inadequately protected. We need to have more surveillance at, on, on, on water and in the air. Uh, for instance, the F-35 is not in Canada's interest except for the alliances with NATO. Look at the current situation in terms of where is the real threat of an action by a foreign power to take over Canada? It's less likely to be bombardment from the air. It's more likely to be working through cybersecurity threats, turning off all the subways and all the water treatment plants all at once. We're in a new era, and conventional warfare is conventionally deployed. Is I think an, likely an anachronism. We're looking at autonomous weapons. We're looking at the threat of, uh, which is something we're we're very concerned about in terms of the workplace and the life of work of Canadians. What's the impact of artificial intelligence? We're also looking at what's the impact of autonomous artificial intelligence in terms of military application. We need to actually be what we've been in the past. We punch above our weight globally. We need to identify the real threats that are coming at us, not the ones we see in our rearview mirror. But experts would say that North Korea and Iran are still very much developing missiles, and those missiles could be shot down over Canadian airspace. Would you want Donald Trump being able to make those decisions exclusively if we were not a part of NORAD. I think we have to also look at our relationships with Iran. We have to look at our relationships. I mean, that Trump's done real damage to what was growing as an Iran commitment, which everyone says, all international observers say, they were living up to their commitments on the nuclear agreement that had been struck with the previous Obama administration. The world became less safe when Donald Trump decided to repudiate that agreement. Um, the, Macron from France made a recent bid to try to get Iran to keep to those targets even while Trump has repudiated them. I think Canada needs to open an embassy in Tehran. We need to keep lines of communication going. Even in a, a government and the policies that we may deplore, having good links, strong diplomacy has always been Canada's strong suit. And we need to redeploy and rebuild the elite nature of our foreign service. It's been denigrated under Stephen Harper. We have a lot of work to do, but I don't think it makes sense to say that we uh, 
go, you know, go solely through whatever the United States is saying or solely through what NATO is saying. We have strong multilateral alliances through the United Nations. We need to be mindful of all the places where we can deploy our, our strong suit, which is we, are, we have never been described as a big military nation. We are, as Lloyd Axworthy said, soft power. We punch above our weight, and when we do so, we do it in the interests of world peace and in the interests of the global human family which is why our platform is designed around the sustainable development goals to end poverty, provide clean water, address the lack of education for women and girls around the world and within Canada. So we have a, I'm proud of our platform, by the way, and uh, we've always done, by the way, a full platform. This isn't the first time that we've addressed all the issues, but I'm so happy that in this election, the Green Party is being taken seriously and people are looking at the platform and as you just did, punching the, just kicking the tires on, where are you on defense? Where are you in foreign policy? I think we have a very strong set of policies to make the world a safer place. Elizabeth May, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson.